Hey everyone. Before we get started, we just have a quick request for you to review us, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This episode is a listener request from someone who left us a review. Um, so you And then we did it. You can have this power too. <laughs> that can happen to you as well. Um, we love hearing from everyone about what books were really important to you and what stayed with you and you'd like to revisit as an adult. Um, so you can let us know in your review or you can get in touch at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Thanks so much. Now the episode. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Mm-hmm. This week, The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman. Very well-known book. So <laughs> this might be the most popular book we've ever covered. I learned in my research that its sales um, outpaced Harry Potter at times. Wow. Um, it came out at the same time? Two years, Harry Potter? Two years before. This book uh, came out in 1995, and Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone came out in England in 1997. I did not know that, because as we're going to discuss, we did not... I didn't read this book. Did you? So, yes, but oh. I remembered none of it Grace until... Grace misrepresented that fact previously. Well, I didn't know. I, thought, <laughs> I genuinely thought I hadn't read this. And this is going to be a slightly different sort of episode for us, because we are typically rereading books that we love so much right. and were so important to us. This book wasn't important to us, and I think it's going to be interesting to... Because it was important to so many people. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to figure out why that why that was, why we missed this. Um, we'll but talk, we'll I'm also really that. interested in talking about it from an adult's perspective, because mm-hmm. um, unsurprisingly, it's an excellent book. Um, yeah, there's actually so much to say. I'm not even sure where to begin, but we will just go into this as always um, and do our marketing breakdown for the book mm-hmm. and discuss how it was represented by the publisher. Um, the edition that we are reading is a Seattle Public Library copy. Shout out to SPL as always. Um, but this is the cop, the edition that was super popular when we were young. Um, it has the illustration of Lyra and Pan on on Yorick's back. Um, I really, really love the picture of Yorick on the cover. A, He's just gazing soulfully into the camera. <laughs> so cute. Oh, give him a scritch. I mean, Yorick is one of the best characters in this book. Reminded me so much of Talat the horse from Hero oh. and the Crown. <laughs> like a fully realized animal character. Yeah. Um, although... Yorick has words and language, yeah. whereas Talat is is for all. He's more affects a horse, yeah, um, not a horse who can speak. He's self aware, but it it's them on their journey through the north against a starry sky. Um, Lyra is looking out around for danger, and she has she is illustrated so well. She has the kind of stubborn set of her forehead and a slight frown on her lips, and she looks very intelligent. Um, and she's, you know, peering around looking for enemies that might be approaching. Yeah, a little pan. And pan. It's a and really cute form. cover. I'm into this cover. <laughs> it's an amazing cover. I remember being compelled by it as a kid, but not necessarily the story, but we'll get to that. 
Um, this was not the cover of the book that I tried to read. Really? Yeah. What did that look like? Um, it looked like it was very quickly put together using Photoshop and it looked mm. kind of like one of those like Ed Hardy t-shirts. Oh where my just, God. Like, what? Not, I mean, it didn't have like a crucifix <laughs> and the <laughs> Gothic <laughs> script. Yeah, no. Yeah. But it, I think that it, it just had so many elements slapped on top of each other that looked like they came from like a stock folder and Yikes. it was like drenched in red and gold and not in any kind of good way. And I think that that really helped Did to, it- turned me off the book. Did it have the alethiometer on the front? Probably, but you couldn't really tell what it, because there were so many like shapes and mm. like bleh, feathers and dust and like all <laughs> it, like it just, I couldn't sort it out. Oh my God. It was a mishmash, um, a miasma. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh um, dude, I found the one that, the cover of the one that I read. We should put that one up too. Yeah, the, show it to me. The cover's awful. Oh my god! Told, I've never I told seen you, it's this. like an Ed Hardy shirt. Did you have this? I yeah, I never we saw owned this. it. I must have bought it at like a book fair or something. Okay, it's a nightmare. Yeah, it's we really will be bad. putting this up on our <laughs> website. Wow, it's After. just like a bunch of crap superimposed over itself. It's like you read this book and then you took acid, but then you had like no imagination at all, and had also taken like Photoshop one hundred and one. <laughs> really bad (laughs) okay yeah so we have his dark materials book one the golden compass um the inner flap reads get some library book sounds not just pages turning but the crinkle of the wraps yeah extraordinary storytelling at its very best detroit free press lyra bellacroix sorry about the pronunciation is content to run wild among the scholars of jordan college with her demon familiar Pentalaman, always by her side. Pentalaman. Pentalaman, always by her side. But the arrival of her fearsome uncle, Lord Asriel, draws her to the heart of a terrible struggle, a struggle born of gobblers and stolen children, witch clans and armored bears. And as she hurtles toward danger in the cold far north, Lyra never suspects the shocking truth. She alone is destined to win or to lose this more than mortal battle. Beautifully crafted and thrillingly told, this first book of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy is now hailed as a modern fantasy classic. Along with The Subtle Knife and The Ember Spyglass, The Golden Compass is a masterwork of storytelling and suspense, beloved by readers of all ages around the world. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to fight any of that yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fine summary yeah. um i do i love love reading these flaps um and seeing how the publisher chooses to, like comment on the story that they're mm-hmm. promoting um there's so many instances where like this this is a glorious book that feels very um it feels like larger than itself. It comments on huge questions of the nature of God and man and how the two should intertwine. Mm. Um, and so I know that they need to come up with phrases like she alone is destined to win or to lose this more than mortal battle, but it just feels so trite. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. Read something like that put down um, after experiencing the story as a whole. But Again, I advocate for getting rid of book summaries altogether. And just including sometimes. excerpts. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, there's so many excerpts from this That would have been great. Including my favorite quote, Yorick saying, I'm not afraid yet. When I feel the fear, I shall master it. (laughs) You need that on like an inspirational poster with like just his face. Yes. (laughs) Huge filling. Um, Okay, so would you like to give us a quick plot summary. Uh, was, I mean, I think everyone pretty much knows what this story is about, okay. but for those who haven't read it in a while or may, who like us don't remember it um, or haven't read it at all, a discussion of what we'll say right now, this is the golden compass only. We did not read the Subtle Knife or The Ember Spyglass. We're only talking about the first book. And, and I don't, I've never read those. So if I say something yeah. that doesn't make sense in the context of the entire trilogy, mea culpa, I'm sorry. Yes. It's just how it's going to be. Yes. So will you please spoil the book for us, Madeline? So on a geopolitical level... <laughs> I want a great way to start a plot summary. There, there's a conflict between the Catholic or not the Catholic. I think just the Christian yeah, church. Yeah, they don't, they don't separate it, it out into a, a sect. Um, just the the Christian church. Although there's a pope, so that it says suggests Catholic Catholicism, to me. but they don't call it Catholicism <laughs> okay. at any point because this they is call a, it the magisterium. Yes, because this is a kind of uh, historical fiction work where it's oriented in our world, but then there are marked differences about it. Mm, yeah. When is the last fantasy book that you use where they use like names like England and, you know, like it's, it's in, it's on earth. It's just on a different earth. I think that's the whole point of it. Yeah. It's a parallel universe. That's why I just, I don't want to say our world because it's not a world more familiar to us than it's, it's, it's not just a, crafted fantasy universe it takes a lot of yes notes from earth yes like zeppelins on and the country names that's just what i was trying to get at. but some of the country names are made up i know do you want to do something <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm sorry please continue I'm, I'm a little sick so that's why i'm gonna sound a bit beleaguered here um not just because she hates me <laughs> <laughs> right just, now i cannot deal with grace so Christian church, uh, magisterium, they are trying to control this information, scientific revelation. They're, they're Theological to, discussion. Right. It's uh, all kind of rolled up in one. Yeah. And it's about dust with a capital D uh, because it it's it's there. It happens. Something, something, Aurora. It's there. It happens. <laughs> dust. Get used to it. Um, and it's it's in the north. And yeah, so it's linked to the Aurora Borealis. Yes, because... Which also has a city inside of it. Do you want to do summary? <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying to help. So, uh, humans are trying to decide what to do about it. Some humans think that they should... I wasn't really clear on what exactly they want to do. They want to keep it from being able to affect humans. So, in doing that, they're experimenting on children in an... It's just, I don't really understand what their end game is because they're basically creating broken people. Let's get into that after the summary. Okay. Anyways. And uh, other people are trying to literally use dust to access a parallel universe and destroy death because that's linked to dust. 
anyways, that's the that's the overarching thing. There's a lot of different political elements with like the bear kingdom and humans and but witches, w- witches. Thank you, and the. Uh, Egyptians and the Egyptians who are, I think, supposed to be a Roma, Roma people yeah. parallel. Yeah. Um, I know I'm kind of uncomfortable saying the name Egyptians. Well, I thought I, the audiobook that I listened to was very heavily English accented and I thought they were saying Egyptians. So yeah. that, and then I was like, oh, wait, no, I think they're trying. It's a different well, way which for, is like, where quote unquote gypsy. That's where the name gypsy came yeah. from because right. people mistakenly thought they were of Egyptian. Because uh-huh. so. yeah. they were um, darker in hair and skin. Anyways, oh, this is so off track. Lyra, she's a little girl. She lives at a college. She hears in Oxford. Uncle Azriel. Um, talking about this dust because Uncle Azriel is a scholar. He's an explorer. He's been working with it. She has no idea what's going on. The reader has no idea what's going on. But in this universe, something else that important is that everyone has, I'm really trying here, a demon. And demons are basically an extension of human souls. Um, They are their souls. Yeah, yeah. And they're connected to them. When people are young, as children, their demons can change shape. But then as they age and hit puberty, their demons pick a shape. And then that's their... Animal shapes. Yes. That then that's their future shape. So, Lyra... <laughs> this is... I'm not saying anything. I'm not being a jerk. This is amazing. <laughs> Lyra... You're doing a good job. In the very beginning, here's Lord Israel talking about dust. She doesn't know what's going on. And then there start being these tales of gobblers who are stealing children. She's friends with a lot of different people in the city because she just kind of like runs around. She's basically an orphan at this um, college being taken care of by the scholars. Some of her friends start getting stolen too. And then this mysterious Mrs. Coulter takes her and we get really bad vibes from her because we already know that she's involved in the stealing of said children uh, and tries to train Lyra to be her assistant, but Lyra finds out that Mrs. Coulter is linked with the gobblers, so she escapes. Um, she goes with the Egyptians to uh, find and try to rescue all the children. She's given this special golden compass, also called an alethiometer, by a scholar before she leaves. She hides it from Mrs. Coulter. The master of the college. Yes. And... Uh, she and the Egyptians embark on a journey to rescue those children. It takes them, it takes her all over the place. She actually goes to where the gobblers, Miss Coulter and the Magisterium are holding the children and separating from their demons in this horrifying experiment uh, that I don't really understand the benefit of. Um, You're and- editorializing <laughs> so much. <laughs> Sorry. I was just really like frustrated by it because it's so horrible. Um, and it, that is really hammered home with how horrible that doing that procedure is to people. Um, Lyra escapes, but she ends up in the bear kingdom. She helps her bear friend become bear king because the old bear king was bad. <laughs> He's a penned bear to more words. Broad, broad strokes here, broad strokes. There's a bear battle. Bear battle. 
at the very end, she manages to reconnect with Uncle Azriel, who we all know, including her at this point, is her father, Azriel, and who then we find out that he's uh, the worst, just a garbage, terrible, grosso who still loves Mrs. Coulter, um, basically has this, the same mission with her, and he steals. Lyra's friend, who was the original reason she set out to rescue the children from the gobblers, Roger, and kills him so that he can use the energy to access the other world. And then the book ends with Lyra and Pantalaimon being like, okay, damage is done. Let's go to the other world. Uh, And yeah, next book. End of book (laughs) one. Um, Thank you. Yes. I'm very proud of that. I was, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so clearly we already have a lot to discuss just based on <laughs> moments that came up during that summary. Um, but before we go any further, we already touched on this, but I just want to reiterate, we're only discussing the events of the Golden Compass. We did not reread or read for the first time all of his dark materials. So we are definitely going to talk about things that are resolved later in yeah. the series. Um, but we're just going off this book alone because this is, you know, every reader's introduction to the series. And as a child, I think reading this is what determines whether you're going to keep going or not, because there's so many series I tried as a kid. And if I wasn't totally captivated by the first book, it felt like too much work to try to force myself to go. Yeah go on yeah, whereas I today we might take a more like if i didn't like it a more academic approach and be like oh well this series is important and there must be something valuable in it so i'll continue to try even if i'm not totally captivated i've read like six books of the wheel yep, of time going back to <laughs> this is just a wheel of time bashing podcast <laughs> if you listen to our raven ring episode you <laughs> heard some of this but anyway Yes, Golden Compass only, also known as uh, the Northern Lights in the UK and Australia. But we are American. Golden Compass is what we were familiar with. So I don't understand why this became a wildly popular children's book. And this is like, this was my first and biggest takeaway um, from revisiting this as an adult. It doesn't seem like a kid's book. Philip Pullman didn't intend for it to be he didn't market it or like hope to market it toward any one audience publisher did but that's what the got it okay publishing machine did to the series Mm -hmm. and i think it's really really hard for anything that features a child protagonist to not be viewed as children's literature which is dumb because everyone was a child at one point there's no adult that was not first a child like they can relate to a child no exactly um and while there are, since it is all also told from the child's point of view, except for, a, I, did, there's a couple mind, snippets that are like expositions yeah. <laughs> or kind of weirdly. No, I could totally hear the like, this is exposition. <laughs> it's like, and now Lee and Serafina are yeah. going to talk while Lyra sleeps yeah. so that we can get a little more detail about what's going mm-hmm. on or like, we're just going to spy on the master and the librarian of Jordan College yeah. having a little nighttime right. chat. Yeah. Even though there's no reason now, we should be witnessing but, uh, this. I hadn't thought about this, but when they tried to poison Lord Azrael at the beginning of the book, it's really bummer that Lyra stopped them <laughs> from doing that because he's terrible. But also, 
But I mean, I know Lyra's fate, role is destiny, fated, yeah. et cetera. Roger was fated to die. Sorry, Roger. That's the breaks. I know. It's <laughs> horrible. So initial impressions of the book, both young and recent. Madeline, take it away. So as I was discussing during my just... During my award-winning a ceremony. Plus, or ceremony summary. <laughs> a plus summary. Uh, the, the version that I attempted to read what just didn't look very appealing. Um, and I think that also part of the problem with it was that it was printed really, really tiny on super thin paper, like a Bible or something. It was really hard to read. And that also didn't help because I tried to read it when I was really young. And I think that I just got Mm. overwhelmed because I couldn't understand what was going on. It was too complicated and it wasn't engaged. Like it doesn't hold your hand, especially at the beginning of the book. And that's why I didn't, you know, obviously I'm sure that there are kids that are, you know, older or just mentally ready for this book. Like I was not, um, but I didn't even know if I made it like to Lyra leaving the college because mm-hmm. right off the bat, I was just like, I'm so confused. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what. And since I was a kid, like since I was such a young kid, I assumed that I was supposed to know what was going on from the start instead yeah. of as an adult being like, oh, this is, you know, going to make sense later, but now it doesn't. And I think that that's why I just totally was like, well, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a few clues in there, like Lyra thinking to herself, she had no idea what that meant or yeah, didn't understand what they were talking about. Um, but it's really easy to miss those. Mm-hmm. And especially the beginning of the golden compass kind of reads like it's already the second book mm-hmm. in a series. Yeah. Um, it really just pushes you into the like there's a demon and yeah. there's this like really strict like academic structure set mm-hmm. up in this college and like yeah. this room that women aren't allowed in and Lyra is like a mysterious child who seems to be different from all the mm-hmm. other people at the college um, yeah yeah it happens very a little confusingly <laughs> for a young reader I would say yeah but um, then as an adult going through this I mean I really read it like a a book for adults. Like you said, it definitely Mm -hmm. doesn't read like it was created to cater to any one audience. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really brutal. Mm -hmm. It doesn't... It's uh, extremely violent. It's really violent in an upsetting way. Yeah. Uh, Also, like, not just the experiments themselves, which are horrifying, and we'll mm -hmm. talk more about in detail, but... Yay. (laughs) But um, there's casual violence, too, just in Lyra's life. Like, Mm -hmm. adults are always... Hurting her, her first contact with Lord Ezreal, her father, is him like twisting her arm up and away from her so hard that she feels like it's going to break. Yeah, and this after is, she prevents him from dying. Yeah, and this is coming from a child who spends like all her time roughhousing, like attacking people. Yeah, <laughs> but also being attacked. Like mm-hmm. it's a violent life that she lives, and adults regard children with like kind of a wanton air of. They mm-hmm. just, they just, a lot of them don't care about them. They don't care about hurting them. Honestly, I, which is what gives rise to the experiments. I yeah, think it's like the, well, the so- social view of mm-hmm. children and their role in, in their world. So the way that I just want to say this, uh, the way that the attitudes and the practices of the adults experimenting on children was presented, um, reminded me a lot of reading a, uh, Okay, so I've read a lot of books about genocide, um, like legal and 
um, sociological, cultural, just studies. Um, I studied it in college. I studied it in law school from a legal perspective. Um, and the kind of the issues they were having with it, what, where the adults were too revulsed, so they mm-hmm. had to find like a better way to do it that wasn't so difficult for the people doing it. And the way that their attitudes were just like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because this is like important and it's going to be better for all of us. And just the, really the lack of caring about the pain of another human being, it really reminded me of the kind of attitudes that are expressed during a mass atrocity. Yeah. Um, so just made me think about that. Well, that absolutely makes sense because this is the beginning of what could be a mass atrocity. I mean, right, you can exactly. tell that if the government oblation board was mm-hmm. allowed to continue at its pace. It was going to expand. Would, it would expand. They would be kidnapping more children, yeah. doing more and more experiments. Mm-hmm. And while they're, you know, holding, like they keep <laughs> mentioning that the children are being held in, you know, a comfortable place and like given food to eat and clothes to wear and things like that. And it's like, well, yeah, in the service of you, literally causing such trauma to them that they They lose their minds first lose like the ability to have any like logic or reason Uh and then die from that trauma. Well, yeah. And because they're not taking care of them after they do that, release them into the world because they have nothing left to do with them. Well, not even the world. They release them in like the Arctic. So they're, so they are just trying to kill them. They're just doing it in a way where they don't actually have to like, they don't have the blood on their hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's so disturbing. I can't, yeah, I was getting really upset while I was uh, listening to my audiobook, like more so than I have with any other book that we've done yet, because it wasn't just like there were really stressful parts, but then mm-hmm. I was also just upset. Well, I understand it better as an adult because it's mm-hmm. about organized religion mm-hmm. and it's about what people do in the name of these concepts that right. they think are more important yeah. than human life. Mm-hmm. And there it gets really complicated because I think it's easier for me to read as an adult as um, a metaphor for uh, like religiously motivated genocides. Mm, like the Inquisition um, or, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or like every, everything, yeah. <laughs> everything that's ever happened in history. Um, as opposed to as a child, it feels divorced from like a larger meaning. So I feel like it's just, it's just too upsetting to like Mm -hmm. even process. I guess if I had gotten to those parts as a child, I would have just seen it as they're evil there. It's black and white. They are evil, evil people. As Lyra is betrayed the most deeply by the people she shares the closest biological connection. Yeah. Both of her parents are monsters. These are the worst parents we've encountered. These are the baddest mom and dad, like just bar none. And as the reader, I think especially as an adult reader, you know from the start that her mission to Lord Ezreal is not to not to help him in what he's doing. I mean, that's what she thinks she's supposed to be doing. But yeah. we know that he's evil. Because from the very beginning, he treats her so badly. He's so horrible to and her. When and he knows that he's her father all right. throughout. Yeah. And when we find out that um, she is 
his daughter and that he's her father, it's not like a good feeling because you're just like, well, wait, he's a bad person. I don't really trust because, you know, you're you learn that you shouldn't trust Mrs. Coulter pretty early on. But you always have the feeling that like he's probably not doing great stuff either. Well, because Lyra doesn't start questioning until later in the book what his role in all of this has been. Mm -hmm. And she is kind of made to feel like he was on the outside of it. And maybe he didn't really know what was going on. But Mm -hmm. it becomes clear and clear that he and Mrs. Coulter are working alongside each other, even if he's on the bad side of the church and she is being supported by it. And I guess what I wanted to, just what I wanted to say and something I understand reading this now as an adult, as opposed to as a kid, and which, I mean, there's not much for me to say about my memories of this because I had so thoroughly forgotten it. I thought I hadn't even read it. And then as I started going through it, I was like, okay, I I have experienced this mm-hmm. before. Um, when I first, so we neglected to mention up front, this episode was a listener request from Jenny. Thank you so much, Jenny. Yeah. Um, and other folks have mentioned it before too. I know this is a widely beloved book. When I proposed covering this to Madeline, I said, have you read this? Have you read The Golden Compass? Because we've talked about this a little bit before. My boyfriend's mom in particular loves Philip Pullman and his dark materials. Shout out to Renee. Hi, Renee. Um, and lent me some of his books recently, but I wanted to start the series from the beginning. Um, and I said to Madeline, have you read this? Madeline said, I don't know. Something about polar bears dying. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that does sound familiar. <laughs> It's funny because when you think about that concept, I think especially in our present day and age, I think of like global warming and the ice caps melting. Um, But no, it's literally polar bears murdering each other in armor (laughs) for the right to a throne. (laughs) The bear society was the like one of my favorite really parts about this. Yeah, (laughs) so amazing. (laughs) Um, Anyway. I, I think I, I like forced my way through it when I was young and it was too violent for me. It was too upsetting. It's weird because there are other very violent books that I loved, but something about this didn't connect with me. And I also believe I read part of the second book, A Subtle Knife, but I didn't finish the trilogy. I am going to now, like immediately. Um, but anyway, what I'm trying to get at here. I understand being confused by the intent of the evil figures in the book. Like you were mentioning during the summary, like wondering at yeah. the outcome of the experiments. And, and I know I understand like base, like what they were trying to do and like their rationale behind it. It's just the things that they were doing in the name of it are just so abhorrent that it's hard to well, accept. Isn't, but isn't that also familiar in terms of, thinking about these other genocides that you've read about. No, as I was saying that, I was like, okay, I've then, I understand their rationale. Like, I feel like that's a common factor. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. in not even knowing what it is that they're trying to accomplish a chain. Yeah. Um, but they know that they're in a role of power so they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Basically without question. Mm -hmm. And they're specifically targeting lower class children, um, whose parents don't have the means to, to find, find them, them yeah. um, or to even like generate any kind of awareness about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because it's really wild that this is happening and children are being kidnapped across England, mm-hmm. like in a 
consistent, deliberate way. And it's being dismissed by people as a children's like fairy tale yeah. or as some kind of urban legend. But they've been kidnapping a Children ton are of disappearing. Kids. Yeah. And no one cares except the parents of the children who've been kidnapped yeah. who have no voice because they don't have they're not any money upper class enough or any prestige yeah it's really upsetting <laughs> it's um yeah it's it's tough to witness and i feel like i'm just shocked that this that this book is yeah being like given to young children to read yeah because it's really it's but at the same time messed. i think children are capable of of understanding and processing so much more than we often give them credit for. Sure, because kids I, are really adaptive. They're very yeah. resilient. But I benefit from having the religious allegory now and understanding that mm-hmm. um, and understanding why these characters are behaving this way. Yeah. Um, and I, like I said, I haven't read all the, of his dark materials, but I know what happens in the end. And literally God gets killed. Like God is God is evil and humans are good in these books. Mm. And that's why people are confused. That's why Lyra realizes at the end that dust might actually be a good thing yeah. if all the horrific adults in her life right. are trying to yeah. destroy it. Like why it's something that's challenging them. So it's something if, that's a danger to them. And so is God like entropy? So I'm going to go a little bit further back. So the golden compass and the phrase, the golden compass and the phrase his dark materials are both from paradise lost by John Milton, which right. is about the fall of man. And these books are like an inverse of the fall of man because it's about how humans actually have knowledge, which is so important. That's what makes them human as opposed to being their sin okay. and something that's taking them further from God and what God intended. Yeah. And Philip Pullman is an atheist as you're probably not, surprised to learn right because the whole thing about like being kicked out of the garden of even was mm -hmm. that they like got smart and god didn't like it well yeah Yeah. (laughs) they they knew themselves Mm -hmm. um and weren't just little clay people anymore and that's the foundation of the issue with like faith versus knowledge Mm -hmm. um and like the whole field of theology Mm -hmm. like People are trying to know and learn about God, but God needs to be an unknowable figure that you just trust in. Um, (laughs) I think it's also fascinating to reread this book, having gone through my own um, faith journey, I'll call it. We're both raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. We were raised Catholic. We are not Catholic now. Not Catholic. Not, I mean... I'm not religious. I don't believe in God. Um... And I respect Philip Pullman for writing a series like this. I was actually, yeah, towards the very end when it became obvious just the extent of the maliciousness of the magisterium or the Christian church analog mm-hmm. in this, I started to be like, wow, this is pretty gutsy of him. Like, <laughs> really I, I really admire that, that he really just like went for it. So I'm going to read a couple quotes from Catholic publications on this book. Um, Because especially once the His Dark Materials books, the whole trilogy, um, because it's more explicit later on in the books about uh, God's role in all this. Well, Um, and I can't believe I didn't hear it because I know that like the Harry Potter books were really controversial. So controversial. But... There's nothing, nothing at Not all even close. about religion in them. It's literally just because they use because magic. Because there's magic. Yeah. yeah. 
And there's so I can't honestly just as much magic in this book, but it's through like a philosophical lens, mm-hmm. and all, but also. In, in British English, doesn't philosopher mean sorcerer? Isn't that why we had the yeah. American version of the yeah. philosopher's stone was Harry yeah. Potter and the sorcerer's uh-huh. stone? Um, but because Lord Asriel keeps being called a philosopher and it, they talk about people's philosophical tools and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of a steampunk book. So yeah, <laughs> no. confused by in the like technology. In like a non-lame way. I think it's set in like late Victorian England. So like the end of the 19th century, um, just in terms of like some of the general like societal rules and like the technology that is available to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have electricity, which is, which they refer to as um, anbaric, um, power, oh, okay, um, which is an archaic term for electrical power. Um, but then also they use fossil fuels, which is what naphtha is when she talks about like naphtha light versus mm-hmm. ambaric light. Yeah, um, I didn't catch on that. <laughs> I didn't notice. That. I I listen to an audiobook, and it's easier to miss details when yeah. you listen to an audiobook rather than reading. I think also noticing unfamiliar words. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, is, like when she said that, I literally just was it. like, "Oh, that must be a brand." A brand in their like universe. Oh, okay. Like, okay that's okay, what I she was trying to refer like to. Like these different Warren like, Power the companies, electric company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and don't forget blubber light because that comes in later. <laughs> Speaking of blubber, I can't wait for pretend food because, oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, trying to stay on track. So when these books came to the United States, there was a huge controversy. Okay. I was going to say. Catholic groups. Um, So uh, here's a quote from Catholic Culture. Catholic Culture, my favorite magazine. (laughs) Grace gets that magazine like five times a week. (laughs) It's just the same, you know. Her, her apartment again is full <laughs> of these magazines. Catholic culture. In the world of Pullman, God himself, the authority, is a merciless tyrant. His church is an instrument of oppression, and true heroism consists of overthrowing both. Catholic League called his trilogy Atheism for Kids and called for a boycott of all the books. And Pullman responded to that with, why don't we trust readers? Oh, it causes me to shake my head with sorrow that such nitwits could be loose in the world. Just an amazing. Uh, that's fantastic. Atheism for kids. They're all nitwits. Oh, I want that on a bumper sticker. And in another interview, Philip Pullman said, I've been surprised by how little criticism I've got. Harry Potter's been taking all the flack. Meanwhile, I've been flying under the radar, saying things that are far more subversive than exactly. anything poor old Harry has said. My books are about killing God. <laughs> <laughs> and the Harry Potter books are literally just about like kids that do magic. But this is also why. There's no religion in them. Probably because it, the historic material books are so much more cerebral. Exactly. And what <sighs> I was going to say is this was like the foundation of satire in a lot of ways mm. where people are trying to hide these messages, these subversive messages that are against the like established social structures or yeah. status quo um, within an entertaining story. So that if you're already, you have the predisposition to maybe be interested in some of these ideas, you can read that work and mm. then be like, yeah, mm-hmm. hey, this yeah. is actually a really powerful message and yeah. I'm going to do something to change this. Right. Oh, <laughs> so much going on in this. Good talks. Which, which I mean, on. makes sense. This is, 
I I loved reading this book. I know I keep talking about how upset I was, but it, what I really mean to communicate with that is that it gripped me emotionally, uh, and it's a very good book. I, yeah, I was really blown away by it. Um, especially, it's it's so strange to revisit a material that was not important to me at one point in my life, mm-hmm. and yeah, um, now feels very vital um this is really yeah i think that they should this should be on like reading lists in schools what do they have them read race (laughs) grace tell me about the kids you i know that you have a bead on what they're reading in fourth grade now (laughs) related to your question i was thinking a lot actually about narnia and about the chronicles of narnia while i was reading this um for more than a few reasons Other folks have compared the Chronicles of Narnia to his dark materials and Philip Pullman hates the Chronicles of Narnia (laughs) and has called them blatantly racist, monumentally disparaging of women, immoral and evil. (laughs) I have like a writer crush on Philip Pullman now. (laughs) It's very exciting because he um, just released another book that continues the his dark materials story it's it's sort of a prequel um set when lyra is very young mm-hmm. um but uh yeah i really i'm gonna read the whole, the whole series and then what are baby that demons out. like oh my gosh oh, amazing like i'm sure constantly morphing <laughs> baby animals all over the place it's probably like baby magic and spindles and yeah, that's exactly what i was them, thinking of yeah turning into different things and causing yeah. trouble to kind of tie up the end of this discussion for at least the time being, going back to Paradise Lost, going back to John Milton, that work and other similar works talk about original sin, about how humans fell from God. Coming from that, we have all these concepts of children being more innocent and like being more, you know, connected to like a greater power. Mm-hmm. And like, this is a common trope in fantasy too. And like in a lot of what we've read. And it, it frustrates me because kids are, can be terrible. Which I think like Lyra Children really, are not better Lyra people. really embodies, like she's, she's such an incredible character, but like she, she is very violent. Like mm-hmm. she enjoys um, lying <laughs> to adults and children alike. Mm-hmm. She um, gets in wars with her fellow kids. <laughs> against adults and other children. Um, but she also deeply cares about other humans mm-hmm. and about doing what's right. Yeah. Um, and Which is not something that, that most, like a lot of kids are just, children are selfish little animals. Like children are not better than adults. Well, and okay? this, this is tied into the, the point that these books make, um, which is that children aren't more heavenly or holy than adults. And it's actually important for them to mature and gain the dust mm-hmm. that everyone is so freaked out about. Yeah. And for their demons to stop changing forms and choose a form shows them who they truly are. Like mm-hmm. then they see the shape of their character and then they can move forward and like become a true human being, right. which is, the opposite concept that like biblical faith wants us to believe Mm -hmm. it's that as you become an adult as you gain like sexual maturity and things like that Mm -hmm. you're actually going to just be sinning more and more and you're moving further away from god um and it's really radical that these books are saying the opposite that you're becoming Um, more and more enlightened and wise as you go through life so it's actually the polar opposite yep uh, pretty cool. Hey, yeah. way too much for me to understand as a child, though. Um, 
I never had humans hurt me emotionally like like kids and teenagers hurt me when I was their age. So that one's put that ready out there. for this message. <laughs> Children, bad adults. <laughs> and I think that yeah completes our discussion <laughs> of religion and historical materials. Oh my god, this is gonna be a long episode. But um, that that makes sense because this is there's a lot. And lot to discuss here. And in um in doing this, uh Philip Pullman also is subverting a lot of fantasy tropes. Mm. Um like yeah. Lyra is a very different kind of protagonist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I'm really, really curious to see what happens when she reaches the point of maturity. Yeah, I want to see what Pandalimon ends up. I know as. what's fan gonna be. I was gonna segue into we've already touched on this a lot, but maybe we could do a neat little discussion of like animals, animals in this book. Animals just like animals in this book. <laughs> it's time. Um yeah, let's talk about the Panzer Bjorn. The dancing bear. The no, the armored bears. Armored bears. <laughs> Wait, do the bears in this book fight or do they dance? Do they dance? I can't remember. Um, well, first, we we already talked about how all the demons are animal forms and yes, et cetera, et cetera. We did. Um, and I I love the little moments of like lighthearted humor that we get related to what form the different demons are taking. Yeah, and in the and audiobook that I read, the... Is there a mouse voice? The I was reader for Pan... I mean, it was a really fun audiobook. Mm-hmm. First time I've ever uh, gotten one off Audible that... Um, Audible plug. Audible play it past money. We'll plug you over. So time. it just... It is the edition that's available on Audible. That's what you listen to. Yes. Okay. Because I'm sure there are a few. With different... Yeah, you're right. Narratives. Okay, anyways. So this one, it was actually voiced by, like, a cast. Like, Lyra had a voice, and there was... I don't know how many voices the narrator did, but there were definitely, like, at least 10 people doing voices for this book, I think. Um, and at, based on the animal that Pan was, they had a different voice for him, and that was really, really fun. Oh, my gosh. They had a mouse voice and a moth voice. And like, yes, <laughs> I want to hear the moth voice. I yeah. was thinking about that as I read it, uh, because I think the line is captioned, like, in a, in a moth voice. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Yeah, Please, no, I exactly. It was really fun. Um, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love Pan. All the demons are um, oh, just so sweet. I mean, having this physical manifestation of a soul that wants to be near you at all times. It's like you're familiar. Um, That's and what it is. is constantly communicating with you and like displaying your emotions in interesting mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Um, but also like trying to be secretive and not well, give everything away. And they talk a lot about how important that companionship is too mm-hmm. between a human and their demon for mm-hmm. both the human and the demon. Well, every time because they're uh, never alone. Well, that's why Lyra first feels such um, sorrow and empathy for Yorick because mm-hmm. he is always alone because he's the bear and um, the bears don't have demons. And also he has been, uh, uh, his armor has been taken away. Yeah. Um, so their armor as it, it is something that the bears fabricate. Yeah. But, um, but then it is, is with them for mm-hmm. life, I believe. And I, oh, it's just, it's so like beautiful and heartbreaking. The thought of Yorick being cast out and then going to, I can't remember the name, Nova Villa or something. Novagrad. 
and making himself new armor. It's out not. Of, it's not called Novigrad. I know that out of um, sky metal is yeah. what it's mm-hmm. called. Um, and then it, the horrible humans getting him drunk and taking his armor away and hiding it from him and trying to perform exorcisms on it, and just that glorious scene of him destroying the priest's home and yeah, bursting and forth in his armor. armor. Yeah. <sighs> I have chills thinking about it. It's just like, (laughs) yes, you're right. And the fact that the crime that he was excommunicated for only happened because his his bear instincts were Mm -hmm. completely confused by another bear not backing down when he was clearly the superior one Mm -hmm. in a fight for a mate. Right. Yeah. And because Miss Colt, Mrs. Miss Colter, Mrs. Coulter, Mrs. Coulter went and like drugged the messed bear. up yeah. all of their stuff Ugh. by making them be more human like. Um, and that's how Lyra was able to help York get to the mm-hmm. point where he could kill and unseat the old king who was like totally throwing himself wholeheartedly into the, the human yeah. world. And the the like his demon his yeah, human this, demon like, doll, doll that he demon. wore yes that stuff was really messed up and yeah, it, yeah. and <laughs> and it was a mrs coulter demon yes. yeah yes and just the way that the bear fortress was being run when it was trying to be like a human fortress was disgusting and dirty because they're bears and it's against their nature to try to be like humans and and yeah. yorick coming in for his you know death battle mm-hmm. um with Yofer and calling out bears if i defeat Yofer and and i become your king your first task is to rip down this palace for this is not how bears should live <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah! he just stirred so much emotion in Grace me i want the bear i want an epic <laughs> about the bears only about your <laughs> He just, yeah, he spoke to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm a bear at heart. Uh, I think that's what we're learning here. Okay. Um, okay. And, of course, he's he's very violent, um, but so are all the humans in this book. I mean, honestly, I, I, I think at least, at least Yorick is guided by honor. Mm. Um, and honor can be damaging. Honor can give rise to some pretty bad concepts. Um, a lot of them, you know, patriarchal. Uh, nationalistic yes um but i appreciate the way that it guides and motivates him in this book Mm -hmm. and that he does have this loyalty to john fa and to lyra lyra sorry yes indeed um so bears great yeah Bear's good. Demons, great. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the horrible little golden monkey who is Mrs. Coulter's demon, yeah. who's the worst. People who touch demons, not great. That's not good. really messed up. And it reads like sexual assault. Yeah, um, no, totally. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. God, this <laughs> book is, took me all over the place. Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. It's interesting because we don't see animals that are similar to like forms that demons tend to take on land. There are in the ocean. ocean, There are dolphins. Well, we do hear some about birds at the university. There are a lot of birds too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the book just doesn't focus on Mm. other animals probably. Because they're animals. And they come to this a few times in the book that like what makes a human a human is to Mm -hmm. have a demon, to have a soul, to have a consciousness. And the bears are different because they also have a kind of soul Mm -hmm. in their armor. Right. And that's why they 
have their own society and can yeah. speak mm-hmm. with humans yeah. and communicate with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, they really are so metal, just like living on top of the world in their bear hall. Ripping up seals and walruses. <laughs> <laughs> Feeding their prisoners just hunks of raw seal flesh. Yeah, um, yeah that's, uh, that's life. That's life as a bear. Uh, speaking of raw seal flesh, is it time? Should we do pretend food? We haven't done badass lady meter. Pretend food. Pretend. Food. Ah, pretend food. Pretend food. The people have spoken. We're doing pretend food right now. <laughs> so, it's the crowd. Good amount of food in this book. Um, and again, as with a, lot, a few books we've read recently, we get both home feast food and then quest food. So we get two sides of the coin, you know, the stuff you're eating when you're just trying to survive and you're mm-hmm. out in the wild, and then the stuff that your fancy pantsy cooks yeah. have prepared for you. Feast of food. Um, I, uh, I was disturbed by the food that is eaten in this book a few yeah. times. So it's um, not very feel good in this I've, book. I've said disturbed a few times now. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good word. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that's, I think what Philip Pullman intended, um, there is, uh, you know, there's some nice, like, I, I like the hot soups. There's also an interesting similarity to one of our recent books that we've covered, Coraline. Um, oh, because yeah. hot chocolate is used as a means of ensnaring a child, mm-hmm. or at least attempting to. Um, because the children who are being lured off the street by Mrs. Coulter to be sent to their doom are offered Chocolatel, which is just like another version of a chocolate, I'm pretty sure. Um, and she feeds Lyra lavishly, too, when mm-hmm. Lyra is living with her. Yep. Yeah, she gets so many soft, sweet, wonderful things, both food-wise and in terms of like her lodging. And Mrs. Coulter um, tries to... I, you can tell once you learn that she is her mother that she's trying to like make her into a lady, yeah, and turn and, well, her away turn from, her into her literal apprentice, like to mm-hmm. raise her up to become Mrs. Coulter, yeah, to be to be just like her, to have this beauty on the outside and absolute cruelty on the inside, yeah. which is revealed in different flashes when we see her face turn into mm-hmm. something haggard. I think they say, yeah, Philip Pullman says at one point, um, but. Lyra can't be caged. She needs to get out there and do a thing. Yeah. So the we'll, we'll get to the um, the more upsetting food now. So as Lyra heads north, you know her diet becomes primarily like soup and dried fish. Yeah. Um, there is a dried fish that features as a demon stand-in for Tony, the little boy who has been severed and has been basically haunting a town, um, yeah. living in like a house on the outskirts and just clutching a dried fish to himself because he's so alone and he's been tortured into madness. Mm-hmm. There is also the uh, freshly killed seal that Lyra and Roger are given by the bears after the after the bear down. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Yorick uses a freshly killed seal to uh, fix his armor. Yeah, to lubricate his, his armor. It's blubber on his armor. And that's the end of that that incredible scene I was talking about earlier. Oh, after yeah. After he retrieves Gets his, his armor, armor back. 
then takes it off for a moment and just plummets into the ocean, comes out with a seal and Mm -hmm. begins meticulously caring for his armor that has rusted while in the human's care. Yeah. So we learn about, I mean, I don't know if Philip Pullman ate raw seal or what, but we get this passage. (laughs) There is food, said the young bear who had woken Lyra. A fresh seal lay on the snow. The bear sliced it open with a claw and showed Lyra where to find the kidneys. She ate one raw. It was warm and soft and delicious beyond imagining. But that's not enough. (laughs) Eat the blubber too, said the bear, and tore off a piece for her. It tasted of cream flavored with hazelnuts. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay, I definitely blocked that part out. (laughs) That passage was insane to me you know what i i believe that raw steel liver might oh, i don't know though i just because raw liver is like jelly it's like no i mean it, it has be. more connective right tissue. it's like jelly that's held together by like tendon type yeah like it's Ugh, I couldn't imagine eating raw liver. Um, well, there is no raw liver. It's raw kidneys and blubber. Oh, okay. Okay, a kidney. Be true to the text, Madeline. I also just can't imagine raw kidney being good because it's full of bad stuff. Soft and delicious beyond imagining. <laughs> I mean, that's all I can say about that. You heard it here first. Go out and get some raw seal. Let us know how it tastes. And I've eaten... <laughs> Plenty of fat, yeah. cooked fat. It mm-hmm. doesn't taste good. Like you know, it makes me want to. Okay, never mind. I, I don't can't. know. I mean, the children are very hungry and tired at this point, and so they're maybe also they're just tapping into their like instincts. They're also in a bear kingdom, and like they're probably not going to get anything else. Yeah. Um, although Rogers so adorably said earlier, we can make a fire when we get on the ground because I nick some matches. <laughs> it's really cute, Roger. Yeah. Oh, I'm sad poor, that Roger poor dies. Roger, he's such a good friend. Um, and I appreciate that there's a boy, a set of a boy girl friend pair, um, where the boy is in like the position of deference to the girl and she's always the leader. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. I think, I think that's enough food. (laughs) We've talked about the food. Are you getting sick? Like, yeah, I'm feeling not good. (laughs) Lately. Yeah. We need to do a delicious book next because lately the ones we've been covering have been, been making causing me nausea. Sick. <laughs> so yeah, let us know if you have any delicious books in mind. Okay, it's time to do Badass Lady Meter. Um, I think there's some there's some problems with the way women are treated in the society in this book. Not the way Philip Pullman treats them, but, but it's the way society clearly treats women. They're in a patriarchal society. Yeah. Um, no women are allowed to come on the journey north. Except um, Lyra. Because she can read the lithiometer. Yep. Mrs. Coulter has to gain power through her looks and through like romantic relationships. People Um, are not, the culture does not train other, I don't know. It's not. Women aren't allowed in specific rooms. Yes. Which we learn very early on and which sets like a weird tone. Women scholars are looked down on. Mm -hmm. And there are very few of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Lyra really flies in the face of all of that mm-hmm. because yeah. she lives a life that would, you know, stereotypically be one of like 
a young boy um, yeah. and is, you know, running around on rooftops and crips and um, throwing, throwing mud clumps all over the place. And no one says to Lyra, other than Mrs. Coulter, like, you need to be more like a lady and like, this isn't, you know, becoming of mm-hmm. you. I mean, the scholars or try that to get her to just like calm down. But well, they're not trying to make her more feminine. But Mrs. Coulter also like tries to introduce her to classism by being yes. like this is below you. Yep, exactly. Whereas yeah. Lyra has always seen the children of like the college servants mm-hmm. and those the are her Egyptians, friends. Yeah. Um, as the, yeah, her closest allies mm-hmm. or enemies in some cases. In, in, yes. In her, campaigns. <laughs> in her, yeah, her little wars. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as we discuss badass ladies, obviously, Lyra is pretty incredible. I'm like the main reason I'm interested in continuing to read the rest of the trilogy is because I'm so curious about seeing her grow up and mm, her yeah. becoming an adult and who she's going to be now that she actually knows more about herself and she has room to definitely be mm-hmm. um, and to really like learn for the first time in her life because she was getting a pretty subpar education mm-hmm. um, and like she knows the streets, but she just hasn't really. Um, been able to like gain much in the way. She wasn't learning like history or math or <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, just like some of the tools she would need to, especially process what the heck is happening to mm-hmm. her now. Um, so yeah, I really want to just like keep journeying with her. Mm-hmm. I, I love how I love how stubborn she is and how brave. I, I can't believe what she goes through. Um, and you know, it, it's something like her saying, oh, well, like Pan is helping me or like encouraging me or whatever, um, that she and Pan are one in the same, mm-hmm. you know, it, he's just her consciousness mm-hmm. basically. Um, so it's all very contained within her, which is really cool. She's mm-hmm. a great character. Yeah. yeah. And I really appreciate that she isn't that holy sort of child that right. Pullman is quietly subverting. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you would like to say? I'm sorry, I'm just rambling. No, it's okay. I'm ready with my my meter. Okay. Rating. Go ahead. Lyra is the rare, unique fantasticness of an alethiometer. Yeah, I love her connection to the alethiometer. Alethiometer. And as she um curious to see as she gets older how her readings of it change yeah. um and since she's completely self-taught if she ever manages to find one of those books <laughs> right that, yeah. that helps or hurts her natural ability to, to read, read it. it yeah um yeah i, I wonder the alethiometer is um a bit of a red herring <laughs> uh yeah it's not the because it's a sacred tool, artifact that we're led but it's not to... the MacGuffin. exactly yeah yeah Roger is like Roger is who she needs to yeah. bring to Lord mm-hmm. Asriel um, to be sacrificed. And no, having the yeah, it's just a tool. It helps mm-hmm. a lot, and certain things wouldn't have been possible without it. But it's not like the end all be all. Oh, just I mean, thinking about that ending, I just yeah, that I, ending's I, rough. I can't believe how awful Lord Asriel is because the reason he's so horrified when he sees Lyra is because he knows he will sacrifice yeah. her. Like whatever exactly. child shows up, he's going to use in his experiment. Yeah. So it's like kill my own daughter. 
I'm upset about that, but like, but I'm gonna do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. He wouldn't be so upset if he didn't know that exactly. He was going to kill yeah, her. because otherwise, why would he be upset? He's, he's an absolute. He would just be like, oh, okay, no, I'm absolute not. monster. And also, him and Mrs. Coulter embracing at the end like gives us a glimpse into what. Uh, your demons might be like while you're having sex. Yes. And I feel weird about that. Yes. Yeah, it's just it's like, oh, you're touching each other. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's move along here. <laughs> so didn't appreciate that. <laughs> any of that. Um, my rating for Lyra is... 10 sets of gleaming bear armor made from the finest sky metal in the land. 10. 10 sets for 10 bears so she can have her little little troop of bear helpers. Bears, bears, bears. Last thing I wanted to mention is that there was a film adaptation of this book made in 2007. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But didn't it not make enough money so they didn't make any more? It did. It actually did make a good amount of money, but it was just a really bad movie. Oh. Um, well, usually if it makes money, it doesn't matter how bad it is. They'll make another one. I know, because it makes me think of the Chronicles of Narnia movie. Oh, maybe that's what I was thinking about. Um, but yeah, those, this, those were not making enough money, so they stopped. Well, they made. They still made a bunch of them. Just don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm um, talking about. <laughs> Yeah, the Golden Compass movie. People and, love and it, crappy movies. It has like a big name cast. It had Daniel Craig as Lord Azriel and Nicole Kidman played Mrs. Coulter. Hmm. Um, who played Lyra? A, a young some, girl. I don't know who she was. Some child. Um, and uh, it, it just sounds like they adapted it really, really poorly. Um, like tons. I see how you could mess it up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of room to mess up this yeah. book adaptation. Like tons of um, narration to try to convey some of the exposition. It has a 42% of Rotten Tomatoes, but 90% of Google users liked this movie. Who are these Google users? Probably the people who Googled it because then there's a little thumbs up and thumbs down that you can hit. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I love the, I'm I'm into the representations of the bears and their armor. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was about to say. The bears look rad, (laughs) but uh, maybe everything else is terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of curious about it. Yeah, me too. Uh, So Maybe we'll watch it. Maybe we'll watch it, but it does sound really bad. Um, and it was really funny because the stuff I was reading about it said that Sam, so Sam Elliott played Lee. Oh, and really talk about Eva Green plays uh, Serafina Pecola. Eva Green is bonkers. I watching her act is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like a great cast. Um, Ian McKellen plays Yorick. I know, but apparently it wasn't. It was like a weird casting choice. I think, I think part of the problem is it was still so close to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So it just sounded like Gandalf. Right. And it's like, oh, so this like like murderous bear bear is actually a wise, (laughs) kindly wizard. Got it. Got it. His voice has too much warmth in it. I bet. Yeah. I would never cast him for Yorick. I would think of Yorick as like. Like Ian McShane or what's his face? The crazy guy that does the method acting. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. 
Yeah, I feel like he's still too um, expressive, too emotional. But yeah, because could, Yorick should be. But he could do non-emotional because bears just, like don't get human emotions. Dude, that would be amazing too. Because then he would method act and like be a bear. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis's greatest action <laughs> challenge yet as a bear. <laughs> but. The good news is that the BBC is making a His Dark Materials miniseries that's coming out next year. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know that we have, um, we're coming at this book a little bit differently than normal because of our experience with it, but this was uh, really incredible to reread. So thank you for encouraging us to read it. I have literally been talking about dust and demons to my boyfriend for the last three days so clearly it's affected me um thank you so much to jenny for requesting this and also another shout out to renee who has requested that we discuss that we do the this. golden compass um we love you and appreciate you so much for recommending these books um and i yeah i'm gonna keep reading the trilogy so like Tweet, tweet at us or send us something on Instagram. We can talk more about the books. Um, our Twitter is Dragon Babies Pod. Our Instagram is Dragon Babies Podcast. And our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com. You can send us a message there too. Also, we're now announcing every book we cover prior to the episodes that you can read along with us. Uh, so we'll be putting that up on the website shortly after this episode's release. So definitely check that out if you want to revisit it before you release our episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you, everybody. You are the best. You are the best. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.